Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm the DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. My usual co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate, is on vacation. So pinch hitting for Wayne is the man behind Wayne's hashtag, hashtag sideline. Here's my bestie and the host of the Who Did It First podcast, Jeff Johnson. Thanks, Ben. Uh, and again, I think this is uh, should be hashtag bailed out is what it is. I, I'm bailing him out instead of sidelining him. Yeah, well, he he's not never going to view it as such. I know, I know. I do him I, I do him a favor, and I'm still I'm still the bad guy. I'm still the bad guy. You you are absolutely. But I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So for this episode, we have not one but two special guests. I guess we could say we have two gunslingers on this episode. So <laughs> first up, he's the man fronting the band, Andrew Leahy and the Homestead. He's been releasing a few singles over the last several months, so I assume that means we have a follow-up to 2019's Airwaves coming soon. So please welcome Andrew Leahy. What's going on? How are you? It's a good intro. I'm good. I was outside pulling weeds, and I much prefer this, so I'm glad to be doing it. Excellent. All right. So uh, we're going to have to figure out some way to differentiate our guests when I call out for scoring because we have a second Andrew for this episode. Our second guest is the frontman and guitarist of the band Great Peacock. The band put out a record last October, and with its title, it kind of sounds like 2020 with the title of Forever Worse Better. So please welcome to the podcast, Andrew Nelson. Uh, thanks. What, what a terrific audience. What a terrific audience. Thank you. I'm happy How to be are here. you? I'm very well today. Uh, it's uh, Good. We, we The South had our really weird freeze uh, last week, and now it's actually like 70. So I'm thankful for that. Now, where are you located? Uh, you know, I am in Birmingham, Alabama. I moved to Birmingham a week ago from Nashville. I lived in Nashville for 14 years and decided to get the hell out of Nashville. Okay. I love Nashville, but I'm happy to be in Birmingham, Alabama. And Birmingham's kind of um kind of growing from what I've what I've heard. Uh, you know, they haven't told me that yet, but I trust oh, you. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I was I was looking at a potential job change up to Birmingham a couple of years ago. And um, I thought, oh, you know, cost of living from Orlando to Birmingham's got to be about the same or 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 even less. No, it was about the same. Like, I thought really? that it would be less considering it was Alabama. And maybe that's just my my Florida um, roots showing a little bit. Maybe No, I figured it would be less. It, it, it was definitely a factor in this move for me, too, for sure. OK, I don't know. I don't know how people. Are so it's less from Nashville. Nashville. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, it's definitely yeah. less than Nashville. Well, I miss you already, gotcha. Andrew Nelson. Oh, I'm just gonna be too. weird to use your complete name every time I reference you today. But <laughs> I, I miss you already. I know where Leahy lives, and and from my old day job, I used to drive by his house all the time in Germantown. So I always thought about just stopping and saying, "Hey," but you know, you should have. <laughs> well, fair anyway, enough. That's another story. Yeah. All right. Well, premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, I ask the all-important question. So um, let's start with Jeff. So what what T-shirt are you wearing? Well, today's T-shirt is inspired by two things. Uh, the artist that we're talking about, uh, because Mike Campbell was part of the tour when I saw uh, them, and then also uh, Andrew Leahy's song, um, Remember This, uh, specifically references uh, Fleetwood Mac, Stevie Nicks, 
So I thought I'd put on my Fleetwood Mac uh, shirt that I got at the forum. Uh, what two years? I can't remember time anymore. Time doesn't it doesn't register right. So two years yeah. ago, whatever it was. So that's I felt like it was appropriate with uh, cool. doing a Tom Petty episode for to do the Mike Campbell tie in too. All right, love it. All right, Leahy, how about you? What T-shirt are you wearing? So I'm wearing a Monster Squad T-shirt. Um, nice. You know, like the late great 80s horror movie monster squad um and it kind of has almost like a puff paint kind of vibe like i would have gotten it you know at an amusement park in 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 like 1989 but i think i got it off of ebay in 2000 and whatever yeah that looks like swap meat right there that's swap material it's pretty good that, that is a cool aesthetic on that i like that a lot I kind of just barely seeing it from where i can see it i thought maybe it said monster squad but then it was like the traveling wheelberries but Doubt of man. Well, follow up t shirt. Yeah, there we go. Follow up t shirt. All right, uh, Andrew Nelson, how about you? What t shirt are you wearing? I picked this out specifically for today because I, you know, did my research and listened to your podcast. Um, normally I'm more refined and wear just a black plain t shirt with the pocket. You got to have the pocket. Um, uh, you know, uh, but today I'm wearing a black uh, t shirt that has the North Face logo, but instead of saying North Face, it says Steal Your Face and it has a little Grateful Dead lightning bolt over here. And uh, and I guess it's appropriate that I'm wearing this too because Mike Campbell has said many times he's a very big Grateful Dead fan. So there we go. Excellent. Nice. I wonder what Mike Campbell thinks about Monster Squad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should find out. We should find out his take on the on the movie. Call up Mr. Campbell. <laughs> we have an urgent question for you. The line that always that always jumps out to me every time I remember Monster Squad is uh, "Wolfman's got nards." That's, that's I the, thought of that today. Yeah, that's, that's the how do you forget line that line? Every time that comes up, that uh, every time that that movie is mentioned, that I think about. Me too. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right, so my shirt. I am wearing my uh, Prine Isbell t-shirt uh i've worn it a couple times on on episodes but um yeah i love both of those dudes and um i don't know how it fits into tom petty at all i'm i'm sure jason loves loves petty i i would assume um but yeah i don't know what the correlation is on that so it's all good maybe songwriters john john prine is hanging out with tom maybe maybe that's yeah Probably. Yeah. Oh, deep, I would huh? imagine that Petty was a Prime fan. Yes. Very very much so. I would I would I would definitely I would definitely say that. All right. Um so this is usually the part where I um do some interview questions. So um so uh Andrew Leahy, I'll 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 chat with you in a second. Let's talk let's talk about Great Peacock first. So sure. um I I tweeted out this past week about how much I love your new album, Forever Worse Better. Came out in October of last year. Um, I don't know if people kind of know how we get guests on this on this podcast. So there's there's really three different factors. One, PR firms pitch us the you know potential guests, and we say, yeah, that sure. Um, or the second way is we have these referral lines where previous guests are referring their friends over to us. Um, the third is I hear somebody's album and I go, dude, I want to talk to him or her. I want them on the podcast. Um, 
So after I heard your album in November, Andrew, I immediately emailed your PR team and was like, you're somebody that I want to have come on the podcast because I want to promote the hell out of this, this great album of yours. So she then asked me, hey, would you be interested in, in interviewing Andrew Nelson and Andrew Leahy? And um, it took me everything to not write back and say, uh, yeah, three to four exclamations on that. So <laughs> appreciate it. So, yeah. So I'm I'm super I'm super excited to have both of you on here. So um, uh, let, let's start with Great Peacock. So Jeff and I were texting each other about um, a number of your tracks, especially learning to say goodbye is a fantastic, great closing track. I can hear him say it'll be okay if I fill him up again. And I wonder what it's worth—the never-ending thirst. Yeah, I wonder what it's worth. One of these days, I. Walk on water and pop the sky One of these days I'll see There are certain albums that I listen to that where I hear the closing track and it makes me want to go back to the beginning of the album and just listen to it again. And that's what that particular song does. So try not to being um, too overly fanboy about how much I love your record, but uh, I, I dig your record. That, that means a lot to me. I'm, I'm glad because uh, I, you know, like I said, I, I I'm a fan of it. I've been trying to promote it. Um, and tweet about it and, and throw it on the socials. So, so let me ask you this. So you put out a record during the pandemic. Um, how are you getting this promoted out there considering you guys aren't doing the touring thing? Cause you're, you even mentioned in your bio that you, you guys have been on the road for a long time. That's kind of your bread and butter. Um, you know, it's a good question. I, I would say, the biggest thing, the only thing we really could do was was radio. We spent a lot of money on radio, and luckily, it wasn't our money; it was somebody else. But um, <laughs> we had pretty good success at radio, and, and I'm not like <laughs> trying to brag, but we're still on the Americana charts um, uh, with the second single, which rarely happens to most artists to begin with. No, break away, um, man. That's that's great. We have a very gracious uh, label, and uh, I think that's. But that's been about it because I don't have any sort of. Um, any uh any tricks any sort of like uh live streaming uh come hang out with me and my personality kind of thing to get people to like our band it's pretty much just the music or come see us play live i wish i had uh uh, something some uh quote-unquote brand but i don't but yeah it's it's hard Uh, i would love to be on the road right now um we are actually about to go on a socially distanced tour which is interesting um i have very mixed feelings about it uh because uh I'd kind of rather wait until we can, you know, sell as many tickets as possible, but it's going to be with another great artist who had a fantastic 
record last year and a big year too. So it's going to be good, but uh, I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm long winded. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. I, I feel, I still feel like no, we're an obscure band. No, I still good. feel like no one knows who we are. Um, we're certainly not making any money. So. <laughs> I mean, so we'll see. Maybe maybe 2021 or 2022. That'd be awesome. So you, you, the high praise you just gave the, the album means a lot to me because it's definitely the album that we've worked the hardest on out of any of them. So, and it was and it came from a really weird, yeah. hard emotional place to get to, to to write that album. So and I, and I don't plan on doing it again. I, I, I'm one of the people who didn't know who you you were before um, we were going to do this episode, and and I. I you know, to be honest with you, I've done a number of guest hosting appearances for Ben. Uh, I listen to their podcast a lot. I, I get introduced to a lot of mu- new music. Um, a lot of the, the people that I've guested with, Rocky Bottom or Yumi Zuma, I, I've become fans of their music. Uh, and I would say I, I've, I've, I love both the uh, the albums that I discovered with this episode. But, uh, you know, in, in all honesty, the Great Peacock album is is probably my favorite record that I've, I've discovered since... Uh, get involved with records revisited and with uh, Ben's podcast. I, I really, really am digging it. We, we were listening to it last night in the car as a family. And, and uh, you know, I've got a 19 year old son and a 14 year old daughter in the car with us and everybody's enjoying it. And, and uh, I, I, again, I can't wait to, can't wait to see a live show. Thank you. That means a lot. That means, Hey, and I'll give you a little interesting tidbit for the, since you like the album so much and we're doing this, uh, am I allowed to say what record we're covering yet? Are we, yeah, sure. Well, I guess the I cat's mean, out yeah. of the bag from the yeah, future. Yeah, cat's out of the bag once they... Right. Okay, okay. Well, well, we were lucky enough to actually have um, uh, Greg Calby uh, master our album, who mastered quite quite a bit of Tom yeah. Petty stuff. Definitely um, did Damn the Torpedoes uh, back in the day, and uh, he's still at it yeah. and still great. And that was a in- cool thing for us. And again, we were lucky enough to have... Him say yes, and to have somebody pay for it. <laughs> but uh, but that, that's the record sounds fantastic in my opinion because we got to do a lot of things. We it, it took a long time to make, and we didn't. Um, we, you usually find yourself compromising along the way a lot of times, and a lot of it has to do with money. But we decided that we were going to not compromise on any single thing along the way. So, and and maybe that paid off because you guys seem to like it. Yeah. So you mentioned the uh, the the emotional um, component of of making this record. What 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 was that? Uh, I it was it was a relationship, and uh, it was that. And it, 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 if you listen to the album, you can really hear it. it's it's a relationship, but it's also about um, it's about the lack of success. Really, I mean, the record is very much um, about. I think it, t- it feels so heavy because it felt like everything was coming out of me. I don't, yeah. I don't know if it was, it was just, it, it was, it was a very dark place. Um, it was a lot of, I, I usually write the albums a lot with um, my songwriting partner, Blunt Floyd. And uh, we didn't write a lot to get on this album. It, it came for me and it was because it was from that just Nashville, a lack of success, a lack of uh, romantic success, a lack of um, business success uh, sort of, worrying about death <laughs> it was like it was like a place at the time i think everybody has those every now and then but it was it came from a year of like just unhappiness just really bad unhappiness and that's where the record came from and but in the process of writing it i, I was able to see that the, the, the point of the record is at the very end you said learning how to say goodbye is is really the last statement on the record is it's okay to be alone 
and that's kind of what the point of the record's about. It's like, uh, I'm going to try my best for the success I want, but then I'm going to be okay with whatever happens. Cause I, I yeah. I'm not the master of my own destiny. All I can control is how hard I work to get to it, but I'm going to have to just be okay with things. The heavy, the heaviness yeah. of it comes through to me. Uh, and I think part of the reason that I really resonated with it this past week in particular, really diving into it and why it hit me so hard is, uh, you know, I, I've had a, a number of deaths, you know, in and around, uh, over the last really couple of weeks, uh, my grandpa, three of his brothers, uh, he's been passed for quite a while, but they, they had nine kids. And, and so three of my great uncles passed in about, uh, a two and a half week period, which is crazy. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and they're, they're older, but it, it's still, you know, I mean, it's this tie to my grandpa and his family that, uh, that I feel a strong connection to. So I've been kind of, you know, in that mode where I'm really reminiscing a lot. And then, you know, a comic that, uh, I knew, uh, you know, was a friend and worked with and that he, he passed a couple days ago and, and some of the stuff, I know that you're, you're talking about relationship, but some of it hits you almost on that, you know, learning how to say goodbye or heavy load or, um, help me Lord, like those all really definitely resonated with me this week pretty heavily. And there, you say it's dark, but there, there are some really still some nice optimistic feeling things that you swing out of it that are really solid. And, and one of the, one of the lines in particular that, that hits me because it's kind of become my personal mantra in the last like 10 years is in high wind, you know, this idea of, um, you know, not be, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of not living. And, and that's something that, that, uh, is, is a, mm-hmm. a thing that I put a big focus on and making sure I'm doing all the things that I want to do. And I've got all these things I want to try and do and, put myself out there. And, and so I got to that same point where I was like, I don't, I don't fear death. I fear not, you know, not really digging in and living. And, and that was a, a real cool sentiment, I think. Sorry for all the loss you've been dealing with. Um, I'm, I'm. It, that's the best thing anybody could ever tell me, though. From one of our songs, is that that's the most important thing. Um, better than any of the other stuff. So, so. But I, I hey, I, I'm speechless. Sorry. Let's let's talk about <laughs> Leahy. <laughs> let's talk about number one. His gorgeous hair. Uh, oh, I don't want to talk. I was wondering how Ben doesn't want to talk about his hair. <laughs> I knew that Andrew Nelson was going to bring him up the hair. <laughs> oh shucks, guys! I would, I would pay money to have that hair. Me too. Me too. I appreciate that. <laughs> I want to start a Patreon just so that I can try and get some of that wonderful. Hair. It's yours, man. Great. All right, so so Andrew uh, Leahy. Yeah, I I did spend some time listening to your tunes as well. Um, you've got a couple singles coming out 
right now um i'm assuming that means there's a new album around the corner yeah so the way that i kind of originally planned it you know like i also play with another artist i play guitar um you know with like outlaw country queen elizabeth cook and like that's a gig i really enjoy as well it's kind of like the ying yeah. to you know my own band's yang even though like, if i had to choose i would choose my own project of course but luckily i don't have to choose and so in 2020 you know prior to it you know like uh, turning into what it turned into we had this like really really good elizabeth cook album like that was coming out called aftermath and you know we were primed to like spend a year on the road with her and i was really pumped to be on the road for a year where i'm not the guy in charge and i'm not the guy who's paying for everything and worrying about absolutely every aspect right. of touring um you know but i also wanted to of course you know you know keep some output coming out with my own music and so the plan was, yeah, like put out an album's worth of songs, but go, you know, like one by one, like song by song. And we began doing that. But then once the year turned into what it turned into, I kind of said, okay, well, I want to, you know, well, I don't want to like put all of these out one by one. I want to keep them close to you know, like to the vest because I am in love with the album, or like with the classic idea of an album, yeah. like still. And so, yeah, I mean, currently our plan is like to put out like that you know, like album of ours later, like uh, this year, but it's kind of grown in size. It might be a double album or it might be one just like really rad album, or maybe it'll be two. I don't know, but it'll be something. Yeah. So you mentioned you, you, you play with Elizabeth Cook. Um, so her last album was Aftermath, which is great. I mean, she's, she's awesome. Um, how, how long have you been playing with Elizabeth? It's actually, it's interesting that you ask because I met her the week that Tom Petty died. Um, okay. I think he passed away on a Monday. So like, this is kind of like a crazy, okay, it's a bigger you know, like a story and I'll give it, I'll give the whole one I got to you. So like, I also work as a music journalist. And so I had randomly gotten this interview yep. with like the early 90s band um, Nelson. And I was at one of like their houses in Franklin, Tennessee. You know, I got talking with them about like, you know, like, uh, you know, like being like Nelson. And then, uh, you know, I heard when I was in there that, you know, like a Tom Petty had had like a heart attack, I think is what I heard first, which, um, you know, wasn't completely correct. Was it? Was it a heart no, attack? It, it was, it was, I thought maybe that was part of it. Was technically uh, induced from a, um, a fentanyl overdose. From the overdose of, yeah, meds. Well, so we were getting all the information and, um, you know, I mean, like they were nice guys in the band Nelson, but you know, I did not want to continue our interview, but they were like, let's keep going. And I was like, okay, I'll try to keep going, even though like my hero is passing away as we speak. Um, you know, but a couple evenings later, I was playing a gig at like at the Basement East here in Nashville. It was kind of, a, you know, kind of like a last minute, like a Tom Petty tribute. And Elizabeth Cook was, you know, was one of our guests and, um, and we played Room at the Top. And we just hit it off. And then like a month later, I was in her band. We were opening up for Driving and Crying, which was awesome. So it's been since it's been since then. When was that? 2017? Yeah. 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 That was a heavy week, too. Not to interrupt. I want to talk about Leahy's music. Absolutely. As as possible. That was a heavy week when he when he passed away. <laughs> and going back and listening to his album over and over again. Uh stirred up a lot of those thoughts it's 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 still heavy like yeah, that's man. one of the ones out of everybody for me that like is still kind of heavy i still when i still hear you don't know how it feels i still almost get choked up every single time i hear that i, I listen to tom petty radio on sirius and man that one for whatever reason and it's you know it's been a while and it's still he's one of the ones that i just miss that he's not you know making music and touring and all that sort of stuff for me it's prince 
Yeah. That one's still tough. And they both died from the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a- Andrew. Um, you know, you mentioned you you mentioned the album part of it. I'm very which one? Uh, which well, Andrew? Andrew Leahy. We're talking to Andrew Leahy right now, right? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned the the idea that you that you're. It's a good question, though. More album oriented, which is kind of what I did. I I gravitated right away towards your album. So I'm I'm talking about the, you know, the little bit older stuff. Airwaves, not that old. 2019 feels like a lifetime ago now. But uh, <laughs> um. You know that's what that's what I dove into because I'm more of an album guy too. So there was some some cool stuff in here that I, I had some questions about. Um, you have a run of like Flyover Country and Queen and, uh, Queen and King of Smaller Things that seems to have. It's I'm just curious what the what the thoughts are on those and what the take is because there seems to be some some sort of big messaging going on there that I really dug into. Yeah, well, lyrically, I mean, so like I don't. You know, it's like in Nashville, co-writing is a real rich you know, like a tradition, but like I don't really get into that. But I do have two co-writers on this album, one of whom is Andrew Nelson. He helped me write the cover or the like a title track. Yeah, baby. Um, and Queen and King of Smaller Things was co-written with my buddy John Latham. I needed help on like the last like a verse, I think, and he had, you know helped me on that. So when we wrote that, um, it was 2016 and Trump had just gotten elected and, uh, you know, we're not part of like a political podcast, but I was completely bummed about that. And we wanted to, or, you know, I'd written a song that was kind of trying to like reframe my mind and trying to like uh, remind myself that, you know, you know, kind of like a, regardless of who's in the Oval Office, you're still the, you know, you're still king of your own small kingdom, you know, um, you know, like your own, like a microcosm, you're in charge of that. Um, and I put queen first because I'm married and, if anyone's married, you know that you have to put her first. So it became queen and king of smaller things. And that's, things. that's how I read it as well. And so I was curious if that was the take. And I really dug that. I thought that was a great um, sort of a great philosophy of, you know, it's, it's that whole idea of making making more change locally, I guess, too, or grassroots or all those sorts of things in the sphere that you can control. And that was kind of what jumped out to me about it. So I'm True. glad I didn't misinterpret it, first of all. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I got something right. Uh, I did think, um, you know, lips like sugar had a very, um, echo in the Bunnyman kind of a feel. So I wondered if they inspired you on that at all, or, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm also they have a big, echo. <laughs> yeah, 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 we, it's an echo in the Bunnyman cover that we had, uh, you know, I, I'd somehow like missed that song as a kid. And then you know, we were on tour in Texas and I woke up, I wasn't the one driving, but I woke up in the back seat. And one of my guys was playing that song and I was just like, what is this? I completely loved it. And then we had a residency here in Nashville for um, I think like a year where we played every month and played a bunch of like 80s covers. It was called Leahy's 80s. Um, and we began playing that song and it just, you know, it just worked. I mean, I think if you change like the production a bit, like that song could be a war on drugs, you know, like a tune, like that song could be a great Peacock tune. Um and so we just wanted, you know, like we recorded it kind of last minute. It was our last one that was um, on that album. I, I love what you, I love what you bring to it. It doesn't feel like just a straight knockoff cover, but it also doesn't, it doesn't diverge so much that it doesn't feel like it's true to the original either. But I, you definitely give your personality to it. And then the other one I wanted to kind of highlight is Karen. I just really dug. I love story <laughs> songs. I love storytelling songs. I love Neil Young. I love Johnny Cash. I, I, there's something about the Karen song that I just really dug into. Um, and this story about, you know, someone who's maybe undernoticed or underappreciated and how alluring that might be to go on that adventure. So uh, I just thought that was super cool. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I've always, you know, I've always gotten into, um, you know, I really like like Tarantino movies or any kind of movies where it's like, you know, like uh, two characters go on a crime spree in the American Southwest. I'm not sure why I like that vibe, but I kind of just wanted to write my own, you know, my own like, yeah, like a movie song, I guess. And, and that's what Karen is. you live as well um i I'm, I'm missing concerts pretty bad and and uh so i'm i'm definitely hoping to see both you guys uh in a live venue at some point in the relatively near future me too man i want to play with great peacock again i was actually i was trying to like think of like a, when the last time you know we split a gig was and i think it was at this <laughs> small like venue in like indiana and i feel like we just like tore a hole in indiana after that night that was a fun night Terra haute indiana <laughs> Dude, that was a crazy night. Actually, I, I mean, that was, <laughs> I'm not going to say who, but somebody in our band. He was asleep like, in the alley, right? We couldn't find him. Oh. Like they disappeared. He got so drunk, he fell asleep in the alley behind the club. <laughs> and I don't know why I think it's funny because this is terrible. But we like, I mean, we were worried. We we're like, where is he? Like we couldn't get the phone, nothing. And then like he just randomly showed up in the hotel room at like. Uh, he walked back to the, yeah, he woke up <laughs> the in, the, funniest, in the alley and walked back to the, the hotel. The funniest thing was that he walked in with a bag of McDonald's because he was like, he was like, well, McDonald's was on the way. I was going to stop and get McDonald's. And we were just like, holy crap, you're alive. Yeah. All right. <laughs> good deal. <laughs> that was awesome. That was a good night. And he was very mad at us. He's like, I can't believe you guys left me in the alley. And we're like, well, you, we can't believe you can't keep your stuff together and you get drunk and fall asleep in the alley. So we were all drunk too, but we handled ourselves pretty good. It was really interesting to look at like another band having all of, you know, like the arguments like that my band always has as well. It was a nice little like a peek into like, oh, it's like this with everybody. Okay. I don't have to like feel as bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've had lots of arguments. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a, I, anyway. I have a question for all of you and this, this, uh, this was prompted by a, a um, a, a listen of airwaves. We traded all events for the now. These days we're half awake. Waiting for lights to come on. Where's all that heartbreak headed? I used to hear it in the airwaves, airwaves. Come on. Where's all that heartbreak headed? I used to hear it in the airwaves. I think of all the songs that I heard on the FM dial back in the day of, you know, discovering new music and getting excited when you hear that favorite song again that maybe you don't own, 
in your in in your collection. So you're waiting for the FM dial to play it for you. Um, now that we can listen basically whatever, whenever we want, how, does that destroy the beauty of of discovery for you all? Like, how, how are you discovering mm. new music? Because um, I'm I'm one of these guys that I'm always. I'm always wanting to hear what else is out there. And I get super excited when, when I hear, when I hear something, um, that's new to me. Yeah. How how are you guys discovering new music out there? Well, I'll say, and this is not like a direct answer to, you know, you know, how I'm coming across like a new music, but I feel like, you know, given that anybody can listen to like anything at any time, um, you know, it doesn't really like it hasn't made uh, music lose its magic to me, but it's made radio become even more attractive like uh, to me. And like, you know, like, that's kind of what like Airwaves, my album is all about. It's kind of you know, like a love letter. It's like the rock and roll, you know, like a radio I grew up listening to. But I feel like when you're listening to radio and you're like really into whatever they're playing, like there's, you know, like it's special, like knowing that like the person in the car, you know, like uh, to your left could also like be hearing it at that moment, like there's some kind of connectivity that you lose in the Spotify era. Um, you know, I'm glad that Spotify is around. I'm glad like that I can hear whatever I want to. Like, I've kept all my albums like they're here, you know, like, uh, behind me, but um, yeah, but like it's made me appreciate radio even more. I, I think the only thing for me is I, I don't know if other people behave the way I do, but I found that uh, it, it's made it easier to, to skip. Like, I feel like the amount of time to like sit down and really soak something up and listen to it is is less. I'm glad that um, I'm glad that streaming is, exists. I, I I love it. Um, I'm not even going to go into money or whatever about that. I'm purely as a music consumer. I love that streaming exists. It's fantastic, yeah. but because there is so little work involved with getting that music to you i feel like there is a little less valuation of it as far as like absolutely like if you go if you i remember when you know you would like know when an artist's album was coming out that was new and i'd go buy the cd and like i would i mean the cd would live in my car for at least a couple months and it was like i didn't skip stuff you know what i mean i listened i really and now i mean i still don't skip stuff um I also really like jam bands, so I'll listen to 40 minute songs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the same time, I, if it's new and I don't know it yet, I'm a little less likely to uh, give it maybe the attention it deserves. Uh, I don't know if other people like that, but I'm definitely like that. And I just discover new music from from uh, just trying to always read up and stuff. I try to keep... I, I, Leahy might feel the same way, but when you're doing this and trying to make a living out of it and all that stuff, um, there's a natural inclination to always keep your eye on on the journalistic world and um, and radio charts and things like that because uh, it, it, there's definitely that like competition and, and jealousy sort of in in you. Uh, I, I def- I'm guilty of that. I want everyone to be successful, but at the same time, I'm definitely like I'm one of those people that's like. Uh, one of those sort of old school rock and roll mentalities, like you know, it, it is a bit of a competition, yeah. and like if you're in that spot on the chart, I want that spot on the chart. Um, so th- that's how I always know what's new because I'm just I'm always, uh, you know, 
consumed with my own selfishness <laughs> and career. Now, now you mentioned <laughs> that you're getting some some play on on radio. So besides Nashville uh, Lightning 100, I know is is a great station that really backs you know the Americana sound. Um, I don't have that down here in Orlando. Like radio stations, I've been on the record of saying the radio stations down here suck. They really do. They they're monopolized by iHeart yeah. Media conglomerations and and like I I have to go out and I have to find I have to find, you know, new music. And and I think I'm like you guys where I'm like sometimes it takes me a couple listens to get into it and and I don't always have the time to invest in those those new records. So like for instance the uh, um the the hold steady you guys know the hold steady yeah yeah absolutely and they oh yeah so uh, new, new record came out what 2 weeks ago and um i listened to it the first time kind of liked it but there was one song on there that i'm like oh my gosh i really hate this song <laughs> um i'm talking about unpleasant breakfast because it has <laughs> the these title um, alone kind of in, in it you, you you know you know what i'm talking about so the first time i listened to it i hated it and then i'm like okay i gotta listen to this again and after about the third or fourth time i'm like like i can't wait to hear that song on the record now mm-hmm. so but but people don't always have that time and energy to invest in listening to an album more than once so how do you grab them? How how yeah. do you guys as artists try and grab the listeners where you're like, please go listen, re-listen to this until it finally resonates with you? I don't think you can. Or is that maybe just a really loaded question? Hmm. I yeah. I, I don't think you can. I think I think you as an artist, you will if you want to be true and genuine, which in the end is what has staying power is you just be yourself and um, you just, you just, you, you criticize, just criticize yourself harder than other people would. I always like to ask myself, would I listen to this? Would I buy it? You know, would I give any of my energy and time to this? That's the most important thing to me, because if you spin your wheels trying to do what you think is going to keep getting people or this or that, like, I don't know. I, I feel like you lose a little bit of who you are. And you take on what you think yeah. people want you to be instead of being who you are. So I, I, I say just try to write as the best songs you can possibly write yeah. and perform them the best you can and um and and, and be uh uh just and then when you meet people just be 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 gracious and and acknowledge and, and say thank you for liking it and that's all you can do really. And if anybody doesn't wanna like your music past that point, then they just have bad taste. <laughs> Well, I I agree with that, and I feel like if like that's a lesson that I've learned really well in Nashville. I mean, Great Peacock and my band we're not, you know, we're not your typical Nashville bands, and we're not in your typical, you know, like East Nashville cool kids club, and we don't go to like the right bars and like hang with the right people. You're making us sound um, like nerds, man. <laughs> <laughs> and we're kind of a just no. We're you're right. You're I think right. you're awesome, man. I'm just trying to say that you know I'm glad. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that y'all exist because I mean, I feel like the kind of music I make, the kind of music you make, like to me it's just it's like a thread of pop rock that is you know like ageless and like has been popular 
like to a degree for like 80 years now. But in Nashville, like people have like a no clue how to classify us because we're not wearing like the pork pie hat and playing Americana music, even though like we get classified as right. such. Um, and we're on like Americana charts and such. So like, I'm glad, I'm glad that you're around and I'm glad that, I'm glad that, um, you know, one other band in Nashville had the balls to just like, be like, no, like I'm going to like make my kind of pop rock. It's kind of Americana. It's kind of not, it just is what it is because, you know, given that y'all exist, I feel like I have like a bit of community with my band. Yeah. That's great. I actually, and you know, people throw around the term dad rock uh, as if it's like a bad, I I embrace it. I think, (laughs) I think there's enough uh, middle-aged white dads out there for my band to have a career. And I fully embrace that. Yeah. I mean, my audience is always older than me, like one generation up. (laughs) And that just, well, it makes sense. You know, like I'm drawing from like music that, you know, was coming out when I was listening like to the radio when I was six. So it's going to be, it's going to appeal to like older people. So my uh, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind some dads in the audience. Bring it my, on. My uh, stand-up comedy is the same way. If I show up and there's a bunch of uh, college kids in the audience, I, I know it's not going to be my night. Like it's just not gonna. It's not going to be my crowd. I, I'm better off with somebody a little older and, uh, you know, something a little different than that. So, yeah, but your 19 year old likes Andrew Nelson's music, and like that is cool, and it makes me jealous. My, my kids love my music. I've got a, you know they're Wilco fans, they're Tom <laughs> Petty fans. Being able to take my I've got th- I've got three kids. I've got 20, 22, 19, and fourteen, and taking uh, all our family to see um, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at the Forum, um, you know, a, f- a few years ago was one of the coolest things. Just being able to sit there and have that music that resonates with all five of us, and you know, my wife and I as parents, them as kids at various levels, is, is you know was was like what you talked about with your music. It's it, it's a brand of music that Tom Petty has that uh, uh it, it is timeless it's good it's good when it was written it's good when it was recorded it's good now it'll be good 40 years from now i'm sure of it um it'll be something that we're still enjoying listening to and, and that's that's yeah. the thing about good music is it it doesn't matter if mm-hmm. it fits into a basket or not to be honest it just is it something that people are going to want to listen to for a long long time and and that's uh yeah i think we get over over worried about producing something for a given point in time i hate to be too long-winded on this but i think what you just said actually goes back to a question earlier that you asked about streaming and the coolest thing you said your kids like tom petty and like uh like my my girlfriend has you know mm-hmm. um some like high school and early college but like her daughter like they love classic rock i mean it's interesting but the cool thing about streaming is when everything's at your fingertips nothing's really old anymore yeah, it's like it's all there for your consumption, yeah. and sure, you might know it's old, but like if you hear, like when you know fifteen year olds hear "Take It Easy" for the first time and they discover the Eagles, it's it's new to them. It's not like you know what I mean. So I think we're we're gonna see more young people in the audience. I think it's just people like what they like, and the only thing that really hurts our kind of music is is the fact that technology has affected music too. So now you have. All the young people are making instead of maybe buying a guitar, they they have a MIDI controller and they're and they're making music that way. So then there might be a little more into electronic music as a result. But I think I think people are always going to love rock and roll. Yeah. They're always going to love country. They're always going to love jazz. They're always going to love R and B. They're always people people at the end of the day. They always will love what is genuine and has soul. That's what matters. Yeah. Yep. I'll be here all day. <laughs> I had one question that I forgot to ask earlier, uh, um, Andrew Nelson. Um, 
So great Peacock uh, as a as a comic with a, still like a twelve year old sense of humor. <laughs> like, is there is that an inside joke at some point? Is it a euphemism? <laughs> is it something like somebody said and and then it just stuck? You're like, that's that's going to be our name. I just couldn't help. I've got a twelve year old. I'm perpetually in junior high school. Man, that is so funny because no, we did not have any dick jokes in mind when we made that. <laughs> um, we were inebriated, but at the time, all the rage was bands that had like two two words in their name and had animals like fleet foxes or okay. um uh bear what's the bear band grizzly bear. bear or you know uh vampire weekend which i know it's technically not an animal but it makes you think of a bat um but you know <laughs> so we were like well because we started a band thought we'd be a a, a silly like folk pop band and so we we were, we were like oh, and we thought peacock sounded cool and then uh, somebody said grape or gray and we were like oh no great peacock so but it is funny because everyone thinks it, it, it is a dick joke but it, it's not um <laughs> dick jokes never, i didn't realize that dick jokes never get old so I, i'm fine with it and the thing i love about it is that no one forgets our band name so well it is yeah. to me a little bit <laughs> yeah i don't know if i i don't yeah. know how many one time i don't i saw us on the radio and they had the cock bleeped out it said great p and then it had like the <laughs> thing where you like bleep out the cock i thought that was funny oh that's great <laughs> where you bleep out the cock yeah. <laughs> that's your next album title bleep out actually the, the next album is going to be a country album and it's going to be a picture of of country crock the the margarine but it's going to say country cock there we go nice right. is this pg-13 enough for you <laughs> it's great you know jeff jeff and my inner yeah. beavis comes out a lot on these episodes where we're together so it's a it's all good it's all good yeah got it all right um Let's dive into the record that we're going to talk about for this episode. So we are talking about Hypnotic Eye from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, so your your PR team pitched that, that you guys wanted to do a Tom Petty episode. Um, was it because we had already done Damn the Torpedoes and Wildflowers that Hypnotic Eye was the one that you kind of... Um, settled on or or was this really the one that you wanted to talk about you take this now okay okay yeah uh, and, and big shout out to rachel hurley at sweetheart yes for setting this she's up. great um yeah big ups our, our publicist rachel is the hardest working person i've ever met in the music Ooh. business um no andrew and i definitely she approached us about doing one because she knows we're both tom petty nuts and we both wanted to do an album that was not um cliche honestly that everyone would choose mm -hmm. and we actually had an internal sort of discussion among us we 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 went back and forth on wanting to do hypnotic eye or the solo album highway companion because we feel like yeah. he has had has however you want to view it um ha has a lot of great like amazing like like they never stopped being great yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it's just like wildflowers and 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 damn the torpedoes and, and full moon fever like those get all and, and they they rightly should i mean wildflowers is in my opinion the the creme de la creme out of all his material it's definitely the one album that has like there's no filler it's all killer yes um uh but but we both wanted to do hypnotic guy we we feel like it is a killer album and for many reasons that we'll get into today that we'll when we talk about it what he said that was a good answer okay, I, was, I was just gonna throw it over to Leahy. so all right well, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to use up my juice that I'm going to use later, but I will say, <laughs> you know, hypnotic eye, it's, it's really interesting for me because it, um, it lays bare a lot of the, um, you know, reasons I love that band. Like, I feel like they aged 
like really, really gracefully as a rock band. You didn't listen to any of their latter day albums and think, oh, like they're clearly, you know, trying to come up with another running down a dream or like that is a clear shot and miss like to have another, you know, like free fallen or something like they did what an aging rock band can and should do, which is like slow down a little bit and the grooves got cooler and like deeper and Tom got this really cool like snarl and like attitude to his, you know, like a delivery and Mike Campbell continued kicking almighty ass like he does. Um, and so like hypnotic guys, of course, of course. And Ben Mont. Yeah. Poor Ben Mont. He's amazing. And um, <laughs> yeah. When again, like it's, um, you know, it's but like he's speaking super of like popular among musicians, like everybody's like, like wants Ben Mont to play on their album. You know what I mean? Well, you know why? And this is. I my other point would be, favorite. you know, it's like the Heartbreakers were a band. God, that's yeah, yeah, like we're a band, I guess. That, um, you know, great musicians who were good enough, like to know, like there is an equal amount of art in like a well-executed pop song, like Great Wide Open, as a really, you know, like a musically complex, challenging album like Mojo, and like Ben Mod is a great example of that. You know, his parts are often like really clean and minimal, but they're perfect because like that is like the exact role in a band like that. And like he knew how to fill it and he did. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you guys picked this one. And, and the, the main reason is I'll admit that the, I did that thing and I've done it before with Neil Young or with what, where I kind of, I stop exploring, you know, at some point, mm-hmm. one of the new albums. And, and I don't know why, I just get in this mode where if I was going to listen to Tom Petty, I was going to kick back to Wildflowers or I was going to kick back to Into the Ray Wide Open or something. And so I didn't spend a lot of time with this one before. And and it kind of embarrassed me as I was going through and listening to it that I had not uh, gotten into this one the way that I wish I had. Because I will say that, um, you know, I like every song on this album. And, and it doesn't have any, and again, partly because I'm probably diving into it almost fresh, Um I've listened to it before, but not at this level. And it doesn't have any songs that fall into my favorites, um, but it's just a really consistent album. There's no, to me, there's no extreme highs maybe that some of the other albums have for me yet, but there's absolutely no lows at all. And I think it, in listening to it the last couple of weeks in particular, I feel like it might be their most consistent album as a band and Tom's second most behind wildflowers. Like you, like you were saying, uh, Nelson, the, uh, you know, wildflowers. There's just no filler at all in it, so that 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 one goes above it in terms of that. But this one, this one's super consistent. I just feel like they're they are in a good groove all the way through and, the and, album. And, and Leahy told me that on the phone. We had a phone conversation about that because because as much as we both love Tom Petty, and he's probably both of our favorite. You know, and I, I always like to call him the Heartbreakers too. Though a lot of times yeah. I don't even say Tom Petty because because yep. even because even the solo albums are so Heartbreakers. Yeah, like personnel songwriting influences i mean so to me they're they're, i think of them as a unit um but yeah i mean there's definitely some like tom petty songs that i don't like and and andrew said he doesn't like but i mean we one thing we loved about this album was that yeah it is there's not a bad song every song is great every song and and I, i love this album too because what you were talking about aging um which we'll talk more about but it you know a lot of classic rock artists you've they seem like they put out an album so they can go on tour now. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't necessarily feel like they're still, you know, being creative per se. It's kind of like, Oh, you know, let's, 
Like, like maybe you, I envision them like strolling in off the street to come sing their vocal track and then leaving while the band, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it just feels like, you know, oh, let's put another one out so we can go to that arena tour. You know what I mean? But there, this does not feel that way at no. all. Um, no. And I overlooked this album when it came out. I liked it, but I didn't really get into it too hard. And then I saw this great MTV Live thing they did um, where they played it. Um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on the Boston Red Sox Stadium right now? Fenway, you know, the big green wall. Um, Fenway, Fenway. They they played at Fenway, and uh, and they and it was that tour, and they played like five songs, five or six songs off that album. And hearing it live, um, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, I gotta go. And I and I we were on the road a lot then, so I remember listening to the album a lot on the road and really soaking it up and going, "Wow, this is a great album. This is really really killer, for sure." And I'll stop at that. <laughs> All right. So, um, so one thing that I noticed, so when this came out in July of, of 2014, the album debuted at number one on the billboard 200. This was the very first yeah. Tom Petty and the heartbreakers album to ever top the charts. Like, yeah, you heard that, right? Isn't that crazy? This is the very first Tom Petty number one album. Because I completely thought that Full Moon Fever was, you know, Jeff, we talked about Damn the Torpedoes. We knew that that didn't make it because of of uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. But I really thought Full Moon or Wildflowers was a number one album. Um, no, this was this was the very first one. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was surprised by that fact as well when I was doing some research this week. Well, and it's sold US and Canada. And Canada. Well, I think it sold something like 131,000 um, in its opening week, that's which is a week. huge like uh, number currently. Yeah, like, that's amazing. I'm sure that was probably, you know, I'm sure it quickly, you know, like uh, tapered off. Like, I don't even know if the album went gold. Um, but um, a 40 year career and being an icon does for you, though. Absolutely. And it, but you know I went what? out on opening it week. It wouldn't have gone number one if it had just been one of those classic rockers that was making an album just to go on tour. And yeah. it wasn't that good. And yeah, I mean, like Blue Oyster Colt is not going number one. <laughs> no. And they're good live. Like, I'm not knocking them, but. You know, I still hear Forgotten Man on the radio. I still hear the single Forgotten Man on AAA radio. Do you? Nice. And that's, what, three years, three and a half years later? So. Okay. Or what, Oh, no, the album came out in 2014, much later. Sorry, six yeah. years later. Again, like, what yeah, is time right now? Nominate, nominated for a Grammy. Nominated for a Grammy for Best Rock Album in 2015. Wow. Yeah. Do, do, do you guys want to know who the nominees were? That he didn't win. I do. Well, wait, wait, wait. I can, I can guess without even looking. Was there a Green Day? Was there a Foo Fighters? Oh, yeah. I was about to say it had to be Foo Fighters. Oh, yeah. Either one. <laughs> All right. Here, here were the no, okay. Here were the nominees: Black Keys, you Turn Blue, Beck's Morning Phase, mm-hmm. Ryan Adams, Self Titled. And then, good album. and then U2's Songs of Innocence. That's a good album. What do, what do you think won out of all those nominees? Uh, oh, out of all those, I think Beck. What do you think, Leahy? Or Black Keys. I mean, I like U2. Andrew Nelson also likes them, but I think that's you know like not a good album. But I'd say maybe U2, just because it's an easy one to, you know, it's like U2 always wins. I'm going Black Keys. It was Beck. Mm, we're well represented. It was Beck. Oh. oh. Was Heck. that the one yeah. that Kanye came up and like ruined his speech or something? Or 
Or was that oh, Kanye that ruined Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift. He did but, uh, yeah, I often confuse Beck and Taylor Swift. But I thought there was something that went on with Beck at that when he was accepting an award. There was some sort of disturbance for him too, or something. Uh, oh, anyway, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I thought, um, well, maybe I'm conflating it, but wasn't like Beck was hanging out with Paul McCartney after like the Grammys, and like they didn't get into some club or something. Oh, oh man, do you remember it's that? Because he's a Scientologist. It probably was. I wouldn't I let him into my club. Don't come in with that. <laughs> <laughs> when I go to LA, I tell people I'm a Scientologist and they let me in. <laughs> All right. Um, pers- personnel. Personnel is the, it's, it's the heartbreakers. So you got uh, Tom, Mike, and Ben Mont, um, and then Ron Blair on bass, Steve Ferrone on drums. Scott Thurston is on a number of different tracks as well. With uh, rhythm, twelve string, harmonica, tambourine on uh, on one track as well. So, when he uh, joined up in the band in the Great White Open era, yes, yeah. But I think I think that people yeah. kind of forget Scott, um, which is kind of a not nice. Absolutely, thing. not nice. All right, I threw this out. So before we do the track by track analysis, I threw this out to the Tom Petty Nation Facebook group. And said that we were we were getting ready to talk about hypnotic eye, and I wanted to hear what other people had to say about this. So um, I'm just going to read a couple comments, and then we'll we'll get into the the, the track by track. Um, so Emily Lopez Wambacher, she said, "I love this whole album. Uh, when I bought it, I listened to it through and through again. I do wish they played more of this album on Tom Petty Radio on on Sirius XM, though." So, um, I don't have Sirius XM. Any anybody have Sirius XM? I have it in the band van, and so I haven't listened all that much over the past year yeah. now. But it's an amazing station. I can't. I'm trying to think if um, you have it because yeah, of I'm not sure if I've ever heard Hypnotic A. What was that? You have it because of Elizabeth, don't you? Because doesn't she have? Her it's own great show? to hear her like a radio yeah, she's voice on Sirius XM. <laughs> yeah. It's like her, you know, like everyday voice, like turned up by like a hundred. Oh, hey, Andrew. Yeah. Hey, y'all. It's Elizabeth Cook. Um, all right. David Friedman said, I love this album from start to finish. It amazed me that even so deep in his career, Tom still managed to put out great music when most of his fellow classic artists were putting out less than mediocre music. I can totally agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul Cancelo also said, hard to believe he didn't have a number one before this album, but Tom's only album to enter the charts at number one. I love this record. All right. Um, Kathy Watson, Living Good. I really love Hypnotic Eye. The retro sound is amazing. Fault Lines is an awesome song. When you think of your life as being lived on a fault line, anything can swallow you up. It's a fine line to walk. And Tom always managed to get us. I think that says it all right there is Tom seemed to know his fans too. Like they knew. I think he knew that we didn't want to hear as much as I love You Wreck Me. I didn't want to hear another You Wreck Me. As much as I love, you know, some of his other mm-hmm. classic radio hits, I didn't I didn't want him to redo those in a different form and keep putting out those kind of hits. So I think I think he knew that the rest of us wanted that as well. Yeah. He he he's he's one of those artists that I think he was his fans. He he's so g- genuine and seemed 
he just seemed like he was just one of us. Like he's an everyday yeah. person. It doesn't feel, I mean, very highly intelligent and, and, and poetic everyday person, but yeah, I don't think he was, I didn't know the man, but he doesn't, he didn't seem that different than the people that go yeah, to the show. For sure. Yeah. Just cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He could rock a scarf a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Two, two last comments from the group. So Alan Wilmoth, he said, Hypnotic Eye is a very underrated album, in my opinion. Being the follow-up to Mojo, I love the band's return to the gritty style that made them famous. And last but not least, Karen Olk Friend, um, she said, underappreciated album, underappreciated album, but I could do without the you. Oh man, I sound stodgy right now, but there you have it. So I'm wondering where it falls in line for you. Well, Karen, here you go. It's time for us to do the track-by-track analysis. We'll tell you where this falls in line for all of us. And since I get the benefit (laughs) of seeing scores, um, we are all over the place, which is going to make for a really fun conversation. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me either. No, because there's no no filler. There's no no filler. Um, everything is good. I don't feel good about any of my low scores. Um, I had trouble placing everything because the, every time I listened to it, my scores would change a little bit. In the end, the, the surprising mm-hmm. thing to me is a lot of times when we do these, Ben, um, I often end up front loading my scores quite a bit on albums, but this one ends up, you know, the more I went through it, a, a lot of my bigger stuff ended up towards the middle and the back for whatever reason. But I was going to, I hate my front. Scores. I was going to give you crap about that. Cause you, I know you usually front load your scores. So you didn't this time. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm much more into the middle and back, but I, if I scored this five times over the next couple of weeks, the scores would change every time I listen yeah. to it. I, I know that already. Yeah. All right. Same. Yeah, I hear that. So as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on the number of songs on the record. I always throw this over to my co-host, Wayne, to tell me how many songs on this record. So, Jeff, how many we got? I can count just as good as Wayne. There's 11. There's 11 (laughs) songs on this record. That means our top (laughs) song is going to get 11 points. Next favorite, 10 on down to the lowest score of one. So let's kick this off with American Dream Plan B. Yeah. This was the first song that was released to the public. I don't even know if you call it a single in these times. I guess first sneak preview, I guess. I mean, you guys you guys have put out quote-unquote singles. Do you consider them singles when you throw those out there on the streamings early? It's so weird. I mean, if you're going to put a lot of money behind it and, you know, like do like a radio push, then yeah, I guess it's more it's more like a classic single, but yeah, when I just like put it out on Spotify and then it gets like actually categorized as a single, it's kind of weird because it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, you know, like push it. It just came out prior to the album itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you pushed it on streaming by the fact putting it out early. I think, I, I think by nature, we have to call it s- singles. You know, okay. you just have to. If, if you're putting out a song by itself, it's a single, yeah. in my opinion. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Envy. I like music. 
<laughs> Thank you, Russell from uh, uh, Stillwater. We appreciate that. I dig yeah. music. I dig music. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know what. I don't know what's a single anymore. I don't know what's not. But man, I, you know, if something comes out. I listen to it. I'm like oh, that's good. Yeah. MVP for this song for me is Mike Campbell. Anybody else have a different MVP? Um. Um. I like I like the vibe of it in general. I mean, I feel like a lot of like this album, like to me, I can tell that it came right after Mojo. I can tell that it came after Mudcrutch. But yeah. on like this track in particular, it sounds completely different. It sounds like a garage recording. And it kind of is because, you know, like the whole album was tracked in their clubhouse. It was their, you know, like a you know, like a rehearsal space. Um and like they weren't using headphones. Um and like to me, it sound you know it has this great kind of messiness. Like it's kind of like the anti Jeff Lynne recording in that it's not completely yeah. layered and just you know like polished within an inch of its life. And I love all of like the Jeff Lynne work with you know like uh, yeah with like a Petty and like everybody he worked with. But it really is a cool you know like a vibe and I guess probably a return too to what it was probably like in Gainesville when they were practicing years earlier. Yeah, I give Tom the MVP on this. Uh- because of the decision making from the uh, Andrew Andrew sent me an article a sound on sound article and the the nastiness of the beginning so if on this song you can clearly see that the verses and the choruses are different the verses not only um have a negative lyrical connotation they also have a dirtier gritty sound and then things kind of open up and go positive in the chorus and tom actually uh really pushed for that nasty guitar tone and that big heavy bass underneath it, that boom, boom, it almost sounds like sludge. Like it's going into metal in a weird way, you know? Uh, And the guitar solo itself is so disgustingly nasty in a good way that I'm giving Tom, because he said the song needed more edge is what they were saying. He kept saying, Oh, we need to make it sound different. Give it more edge. We need, it needs to sound nasty. So I'm giving Tom the MVP for the decision-making yeah, I, I love the, uh, the the acoustic breakdown and then and then the electric kicking back in on the solo. I just think it's that's super cool. And like you said, it's just gritty and and got uh, got edge to it. I, I also really dig the line. My success is anybody's guess, yeah. but like a fool, I'm betting on happiness. It's a great, great. Tom Petty line um, and it's a great everyman line, which kind of speaks to what you're talking about, about him just seeming like a normal dude. Um, that's how a lot of us feel, you know, like, I don't know if we're going to do it, but I'm I'm just I'm gonna bet on myself and and I, I dig that. I think I think it's a cool cool line in this one. Yeah. He has a very good and and you really see it on this album a lot. Um when you look at the lyrics, looking at the lyrics and hearing this album are two different things. Cause there's a lot of songs that I didn't like really because you get lost in the rock of the album. You don't actually see man the like what he's saying. And and Thomas it's so interesting because he's so uh, you know, epic and inspiring, you know, the, the anthem writer, that guy that, that inspires you to go do stuff. But at the same time, he has this totally just like negative, depressing sort of like angry side too. And like, I like what you said. He's like, he's acknowledging like, yeah, like stuff is, it sucks, man. But yeah, I'm going to bet on happiness. <laughs> it's like he somehow inspires you after he makes you, brings you down. Right. Yeah. Well, I also wanted to add, you talked about um, liking the guitar breakdown. I feel like, well, like this album has a lot of really great bridges, which I feel like is a thing that, you know, if you are doing your job correctly, you get you get you get like better at that like as you go along. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like Power Drunk has a great bridge, like Forgotten Man has a great bridge. But there, but the weird thing about the album is that they're all musical bridges. 
they aren't like lyrical or melody based. Like, you Absolutely. know, usually it's like first chorus, first chorus, bridge, solo, chorus. You yeah. know, I mean, that's that's what we all do. And, yeah, yeah. and, and we all learned it from Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. <laughs> uh, but like there aren't those like bridge, like sing along bridges in this. It's weird. There's all these like you said, it's killer that they're, they're like uh, in some weird ways on this album. They're almost like like just like little 10 to 20 second like prog rock bridges. <laughs> which is kind of out of their wheelhouse in the past, but it, it's, I'm just agreeing with you. The bridges are amazing. Yeah. And this song is definitely a clear example of that. I, I did find one quote from Petty about this song. This was uh this was an interview that he did for the sun. Uh, he said the economy crashed because aside from some very crooked people, you had Americans believing they could live way beyond what they could afford through loans. Just keep in mind that this came out in 2014, so just a few years removed from the mm-hmm. you know the housing bubble crash. He said that wouldn't have happened decades back, so it's part of my thinking. The guy in this song has decided to dream big because there's nothing left for him to do. He has nothing. So there you go. Little Damn. behind the scenes mm-hmm. of of Petty and and this song. Now I feel worse about my score. Yeah, you should. Yeah, and yeah, and, should, and who actually. buys the most lottery tickets? Poor people. <laughs> yep, yep, for sure. Yeah. All right, uh, let's get scores then. So, Jeff, what is your crappy score? No, I'm just kidding. What's what's your score? <laughs> it's a it's a four. And then Leahy, seven. Nelson, five. And this is my eleven. Nah. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Oh, whoa. Jeff, you've been on a number of these episodes. You know, I love a good opening track. If it punches me in the face, you you got yeah. me. And so this is this is a great opening track. Um, there are a couple other songs on there that definitely rivaled for my 11, but um, I ended up giving this my 11 because it just it hooked me. There we go. This makes sense when I see your Prime Isbel shirt. Because this is definitely like the guy singing this song could be a character in a Prine or an Isbel song. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. You know? All right. Next song is Fault Lines. Fault Lines. Did I, what did I say? No, I'm just like reiterating it because I'm pumped because I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> This was the fourth song that was released before the album came out. And I love the imagery used in this song because look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a flawed human being. I have some things I'm working on. I have some demons. And I think that Tom, again, going back to what we were saying earlier about Tom kind of knows his audience. He knows that he's singing to us. We're all flawed just like he is. And, um, I get it. So, it, th- this one gets me too. 
living in California, you know, fault lines are kind of a constant thought, you know, you always, you're always waiting for that earthquake. And so the metaphor of that really resonated with me far more than my score is going to show. I feel even worse about this one than the last one, but, um, I, you're, you know, the, the, uh, the person from the forum that you read the comment on mentioned it, but the idea of the flaws just under the surface, just like a fault line that if they can break through, they can create an, an earthquake effect on your whole life. And that's, that's what like an anger issue or, you know, some of those things that we all sort of suppress that are maybe sitting there just below the surface or, yeah. you know, alcohol, uh, over dependence or whatever it may be, whatever that flaw is, it's funny that one thing can kick everything else off of its course in your life. And, and that's how fragile yeah. I think that we can be as human beings. I think Tom had, had that certainly he dealt with it at different times and, and uh, he really expresses that idea very well in this song. Yeah. Yeah. Leahy, what do you got on this one? You know, I was talking earlier about how um, how the Heartbreakers age really gracefully and how this album is really emblematic of that. I feel like this track in particular, um, well, like to me, it's like them like taking a bite out of like the rudiments of like, American rock and roll. Um, it's so good instrumentally. It's so good lyrically. It's a really, really cool vibe. But whereas on an album like Mojo, you would have a good vibe, but like not always a great song. I feel like this is a really perfect match. I mean, you know, like not to like uh, jump ahead, but like it's my number one on the album. I think it's an amazing song. It's a killer song for sure. Uh, I, I like the, I mean, being a guitarist, I know it, it's very hard to get a fuzz tone as good as Mike Campbell got on the song. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's either too fuzzy or not fuzzy enough. Um, <laughs> And he got the fuzz right on this one. I like how this one has the number and the bass distortion is badass too. Yeah. But I like how this one has like a lounge feel. Like the beginning feels like you're in like a low lit like bar, like lounge. Like 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 this is a when you gotta fill a little space from one song to the next song, like you, you got gotta grab your capo or the lead singer has to go get their drink, but the band has to kind of fill some space yeah. to get to keep the crowd into it. So that intro has that, you know, boom, 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 you know, like the nerd nerd there. And it, it's it just feels like the band's getting ready. And it makes me actually like romanticize the song and picture them as mud crutch, like playing dub steer room. I think it was called that they played in Gainesville. And yeah. it just feels like this, like maybe that the vibe was actually even written in the clubhouse when they were recording it. Like, like the actual like song arrangement, like the intro was just like them goofing off. And Tom kind of added that to it. So the, it's a free rock and roll feeling sound. There's another song coming up that sounds like a lounge, a, a lounge song as well. Yeah, I wonder if yeah. they were trying to, um, to 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 go back to those those roots. I've heard a number of interviews with with Ben Mont and and Mike talking about those early days of of uh, you know playing at the nudie bars as well. You know, just trying <laughs> to get trying to get their chops up and and trying to trying. Yeah, to why were why were my early gigs like that? I don't know. Well, I write. Uh, I, I actually I write music to porn. I put the porn on, and that's how I write my songs to make me feel like that. When <laughs> that I makes a lot of sense. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> now I understand high wind so me much why better. I resonate with yeah. your album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I ain't afraid of dying. I, you know, that's really about STD. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, any last comments before scores? I feel I feel like this song, like a lot of the album. It really highlights the contributions that like uh, Steve Ferroni brings like to the band because as much as I absolutely love 
like Stan Lynch as a percussionist. And if I had to choose, I guess I would go with the older material, but I feel like he would not have played as well on these songs. Whereas like Steve Ferroni is just perfect with it. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Amen. All right. Uh, Jeff, your score. This one is the example of how much my scoring swung and why I, I did have trouble with this album. Cause at one point this was my number one song and it ended up scoring three. I, it, it's that big of a swing for me in this album. Like I thought fault lines was going to be my number one for about a week. And then the more I dug into it, the more I read lyrics, it ended up scoring three. I feel like you were really trying to do a 180 of me making fun of you front loading your scores again. But maybe, yeah, maybe I I'm guess. Wrong. I guess that's it. All right. Leahy, yeah. your score? I mean, it is my number one, but in that here, again, numerically, it has 11. It's my favorite on the album. Excellent. And then Andrew Nelson. Numero seis, six. This is definitely, it, it's up there. It's definitely, um, you know, but it's, I, 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 we have so much more. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this so is my 10. So it's I'm, a great song, killer rock song. This is my 10. So I'm trying to be like Jeff and front loading my scores. Yeah. You're, mm-hmm. you're front loading pretty heavy. Today. I, am, mm-hmm. I am. All right. Next song, Red River. already mentioned Leahy about um you know this was this was so close to mojo and mud crutch this is very much right in that vein kind of seems like a blues blues tune to me well and the drums on this one you know i was like just like talking about like uh, drums i read in an article that like on this track the drums were actually cut at tom petty's home studio and i wish i hadn't come across that because i can hear it now it sounds like not as bright as like the rest of the album and so it's kind of an outlier for me although um i love all of like the harmonies and again it's got a great it's got a great bridge with the guitar that almost sounds like a sitar yeah yeah this is my least favorite song on the album um, and it's weird because a lot of people talk about the song. They love the song. This is my least favorite song. I love the music to this song. There's just something about it lyrically that doesn't connect with me. I don't know who he's singing about, like the, the, the girl, the woman. And I just don't really, this one feels like out of all the songs lyrically on the album that it was just kind of written off the cuff and doesn't have any sort of like, um, you know, and, and, and the Meet Me Tonight at Red River has sort of like a bonanza feel to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So it's a killer song. And the music alone makes me love the yeah. song because because yeah. the group like I love the music of the song. But melodically and um, and where it goes lyrically, it just I, I, it doesn't do much for me. But but I'll still rock out to it. Yeah, lyrically, lyrically. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really like the lyrics. Why it gets a higher score for me is because of a. I finally hear Ben Mont on this uh, th- this track because I feel mm-hmm. like I didn't hear him on the first two, and then the guitar solo on this is oh my gosh, it's so good, and the and probably the best bass line on the album for me yeah. is on this tune. So musically, it gets a higher score for me, but yeah, lyrically, I'm kind of with you. Um, uh, 
it it, it didn't do a whole lot because I didn't know who she was either. Jeff, any any last yeah. thoughts? Well, I wanted to know more about the character. You know, I wanted to know more about her. I actually found a lot of the music, a lot of the music on the song, I found a tad more repetitive than what they tend to do. But I, I thought the guitar solo was so mm-hmm. good. And like you said, the organ really pokes through pretty well on it. But I, I, I think in the end, the lyrics kind of lost me in terms of I felt like I needed to mo- know more about the protagonist and, and in order to really score it higher, I think, is where I ended up. And, yeah. and uh, I wanted it to... I wanted the story to work better than it did for me. Yeah. The breakdown, like musical bridge, the little interlude, um, that's the best part of the song. Yes. I mean, like you said, the guitar solo is so amazing. I wish that they actually wouldn't have gone back to the chorus. I wish it would have been a sort of jam out, like two minute jam, like to the end from that. And, and I think that, I think I would have liked the song a whole lot more had they done that. You're, you're grateful dead. Um, is showing. <laughs> yeah. hey. my, uh, I'm with you though. My Neil Young, my Neil Young fandom it says the yeah, same thing. Well. Give me a, give me, you know, uh, give me down by the river. Uh, you know, give me some sort of 18 minute version of that. And I'm yeah. in. I know, dude. All right, let's get scores. Jeff, what's your score? Uh, two. And then Leahy. Three. And Nelson. And mine is a one. Oh, it's number one. And this is my five, and now I'm starting. You guys are making me rethink that five. Um, But like I said, (laughs) I love the musicality of it. All right. Next song, Full Grown Boy. Can you see her in the firelight? Hear how soft and low she sings. How am I going to tell her that I love her when words don't mean a thing? I love this song. Yeah, I mean, I feel it is, um, you know, it's an outlier, of course. And like Andrew Nelson mentioned that it kind of has, um, you know, it's got like a late night kind of loungy feel, but... Um, it's just like it's executed so well. I love hearing Tom Petty's like delivery on it. If you compare, um, you know how he sounds on this one with how he sounds on American Dream Plan B, it shows how great of a vocalist he was even at the end of his career after you know performing so many live shows. Like he never lost his range. Also, and I was really impressed with that. You know, I mentioned that I'm a big U2 fan, but like Bono has a hard time hitting high notes these days, and Tom Petty could always hit the high notes. Um, yeah, on this song, just like, I feel like uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it's great to hear the band kind of like stretch his legs and do so, so competently. And that's why it gets a high score for me. Yeah. And the, and the lyrical content of the song is, is absolutely, it, it's, it's up there on the album and the album is to me, the lyrics are one of the highlights of this album. Um, this song makes me wish that there was a Tom Petty album with more music like this with him singing. Yeah. That, you know, it's such a rarity, this, this, this track. And it makes me wish we would have had a sort of like, because the, some of these lyrics, and there's one song in particular, I'm going to really get into the lyrics, but some of these lyrics are so well written when you look at them on paper that to hear them, like, it makes me wish we had a, a, a Leonard Cohen style Tom Petty album, you know, <laughs> where it was really just about the vocalists, you know, 
sort of talk singing. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Interesting. Really, I, I think. But but because this is what we have, I will greatly appreciate this song for that. And and it's definitely, it, it's just. And then of course Mike Campbell shines the God. Guitar that guitar tone is absolutely awesome. Absolutely, just musically perfect for what yeah. the song is. So I mean, yeah. And and Ben Mont's piano uh, on this one cuts really cuts through it, it stars along with you know he's the mellotron on this and you get like more of that jazz drums uh kind of a thing mm-hmm. going on it's just got a cool mellow vibe all, overall yeah and again like that's another kind of um you know a drum approach like that i think wouldn't have really been possible earlier in their career it's not necessarily better or worse it's just made possible by their personnel at the end of the you know of like the band's uh, tenor 100 percent. Sure. you're definitely right about that all right scores nelson what you got uh this is a uh four for me which i feel really embarrassed to say after talking about it so highly good um i don't know why i gave this a four but uh I, I mean this was a hard album to score because everything was so good the only thing i felt so adamantly strong about was that red river was definitely the worst song on the album <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I got, I gave it a four. Um, and I, I guess it's just cause it's competition was so steep. So good. Leahy, your score. I give this a nine. All right, Jeff. I'm closer to Nelson and I feel the same way. Uh, five. I'm, I'm a five on it. Yeah. I, I don't like the score, but it is what it yeah, is. I would definitely guess you would hate me. This is my two. Man. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. I don't, I don't get it, Ben. That's it's all good. We've <laughs> no, we, we've had that conversation before. All right. Well, I'm bringing up the average. Yes, you are. All right. Next song is "All You Can Carry." Anytime we hear an "Oh yeah, baby," then you have to start talking about it. All right. Oh, I so was over to you. Uh, I was watching Adult Entertainment again. Sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> this song, I, I went "Oh yeah, baby" because this song is to me like okay. Number one, I did not like Mojo, um, but this song clearly okay. starts off with a Mojo style guitar riff, and it's awesome. But what I love about this song is the lyrical content. This song to me sums up what the album is about. The, this album to me seems like he, and, and it's easy to say this in hindsight because he did die after it, but it feels like he's aware of his own mortality on this album. And it feels like he's saying mm. like, he's really looking back a lot. Like look at full grown boy. I mean, you look at these lyrics and he's talking about fault lines. I've had a few of my own, you know what I mean? He's talking about the past and the lessons he's learned. You can hear it's like, just like bleeding out of him onto the page. Um, 
but he's also saying like like an American dream plan B, you know, I'm going to believe in it. You know, I'm going to believe in heaven or he's going to go. So it feels like it's this whole album is somebody that is very aware of their own mortality is moving forward in a direction, but is very aware and looking back at the same time has a sort of like recollection. And I just love, like I saw a ghost by the road the night and then my mind ran away with me. I had a vision at the changing line, something there, but it's trying to leave. Take what you can, all you can carry. I mean, it's, they're 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 dark lyrics but he's saying take what you can all you can carry it's like he's saying like let's let's just you know squeeze the last little bit of life out of this thing that we can you know what i mean and 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 i think that sums up the album as a whole to me personally it's just my opinion but but that's why i love this song so much and and the music is amazing you know the, the the riff everything about the song is amazing but this is a song i overlooked in the past before i we we did we started doing research again for this podcast and 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 this song really jumped out at me because of that and it was very inspiring to yeah. me because it made me start thinking like that in my own life and certain you know what I mean like take what you can all you can carry like like get what you can out of this man. Hmm. Well, I agree with all that and uh, like I remember you know when the band Fountains of Wayne who I really like came out with like a B-Sides album in like 2006 or something. I listened and I was like, all of like these songs, which like to one band are just almost cast-offs. Like they're all great songs. So like here to like the songs like that I would rank lower are still great songs. And to me, you know, I love the riff. I love whatever like a, a well, I'm not sure if like Tom Petty is like doubling his like a melody or something, or there's some kind of cool effect on the voice. But there's something about the chorus and the number of like repeats at the end where it just loses me. It gets a lower ranking like from me. It's like not that I don't like the song. It's that I like other songs on the album more. Yeah, Jeff, what do you got? Love that riff, though. This one for me, again, has a California tinge because um, the thing that I don't, I don't know if it's registering with anyone else. But this to me is about seeing the glow come over the hillside of a wildfire, you know, and him living you know, in the valley and that I'm sure that he's experienced that if not actually evacuating, I feel like he's singing kind of about evacuating a little bit. And this is the experience that we have quite a bit in California with these wildfires. I mean, I've experienced it where you're sitting and you're watching the glowing hillsides, you know, and you're wondering, is this, you know, do we need to start putting our Mm -hmm. stuff together and, and getting out? And I've never been in an evacuation zone quite, I've been close and, and you always have that tension. And that's what this really kind of brings with me, this idea of, you know, it's this imagery of evacuating from a fire, but it also resonates with a person moving forward and leaving the past behind the same way Fault Lines does. It's this duality in the lyrics that is so super cool. It just, it evokes this feeling of seeing that glow on the hillside and quickly determining what's important and what's not. Um, and he already wrote about his house fire in the, you know, uh, in the late 80s uh, on Won't Back Down. So this one feels more like an evacu- evacuation from a wildfire inspired yeah. kind of thing to me. But um that's super cool it really hit me for for that reason because it it has that that real visceral quality of of making those decisions quickly and then like uh you know andrew nelson was talking about um in terms of looking back on your life and and taking the important things and leaving the other stuff you know let it go let the other valuables or other things that might get burned and and whatever go but take the things that are actually valuable to you very cool that's a really good point i have a theory i have a theory that this song and a few others are actually he is uh singing about the band itself and his career yeah. interesting I, I, I it's just my theory but you know like like 
I, th- I think the fire thing is more of an imagery, you know, and you and I have burned every bridge and now we have got to save our souls again. You know what I mean? Uh, no one can say I didn't have your side. No one can say I left without a fight. I think I feel like he's describing his relationship within the band and the band's relationship within the music industry. And then the whole thing in relation to just living a successful yeah, life. Yeah. Um, but that's my weird theory for the, uh, that's my conspiracy theory for hypnotic. Okay. All right. Your score, Nelson. My score is as high as much as I care about it. It is a seven. Right. Leahy. It's a two. Jeff. <laughs> Eight. And this is my nine. Oh, All right. yeah. Yeah. Next All right. Song, Power drunk. Power trunk. I had a uh, I had a lower score with this one, and then I brought it up. Actually, I really like the sneer of this song. Um, you know, I like like the swagger. Um, you know, I feel like I feel like I feel like Tom was a person who always had a chip on his shoulder and could really turn that into musical gold. And I could just hear how like pissed off he is. And you know, I know what kind of character he's evoking. Um, you know, like the track is really mojo like to me in the best way. And I really like mojo. Um, yeah, I dig this one a lot. When, when he sings, who's going to come and burn your, your playhouse down. Is, is that a shout out to George Jones? <laughs> it could be. I mean, he was, he was, a he was a huge country music fan. Yeah. Uh, it would not surprise me. I was just curious. I, yeah. I was curious I, on that. I, my notes for this, I wrote, and one of my notes was Tom's righteous anger, sort of his righteous indignation. And it's yeah. funny that you said that, Andrew, because that's definitely, and I feel like that was one of the things that he, and what, this song has a, uh, it's it's ambiguous as to who he's singing about. If it's a politician or if it's uh, somebody in the music business. In my head, I like to think it's somebody in the music business. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like it's know? probably like a record label person. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I, I, and so, and, it, and then it makes me think about the story about, you know, about the whole, you know, damn the torpedoes and, and all that stuff. And then in the Bogdanovich film, you know, yeah. where he talks about being there and he's got the knife in his hand, you know, and the guy says, um, you know, you come on, kid, just play ball, do what you're supposed to do. And he and he and he says, I'll sell effing peanuts before I do what you want or something. Yeah. It just this song makes me think of that scene. So yeah. I love this song even more when you look back at his career. Um, and also this song has a uh it, it is a singularly unique tom petty and the heartbreakers groove i mean that is like er, their early career groove you really hear that on this song that like the the, the verse vibe which i love the way that sounds it sounds this song sounds 70s during the verse which is a cool thing well i had that as well i um you know it's you know a mid-tempo song but it's not the kind of mid-tempo that you would associate with like wildflowers mid-tempo or something i feel like the heartbreakers were like really good at you know playing with a slower tempo but making it feel so much like a rock song still mm-hmm. um and you know we keep kind of you know bringing up all these cool bridges 
on this song in particular, you've got that, you know, like a, you know, that cool, like um, root note and it like remains constant and everything else, you know, like it builds upward. I love when they do that. It's one of like the Tom Petty tricks that I've tried to you know, like implement in my music as well. And whenever I hear it, I'm like, that's a Tom Petty bridge. And this song has a Tom Petty bridge. Yeah. Mid-tempo, mm-hmm. but it feels like really musically adventurous in a lot of ways compared to even some of the other stuff on here. Like for a mid-tempo song, it just feels like there's so many things going on. Uh, you know, obviously Campbell's guitar on this, it's just sort of filthy and, you know, like it's searing, you know, it really bites. Uh, Benmont on yeah. electric piano uh, has great moments, but the lyrics are all just super like deep and evocative. This idea pin on a badge and a man begins to change, start believing and there's nothing out of his range, start believing and there's nothing out of his range. You and I are left in the wind in the wake of a rich man's sin. The idea of being power drunk is something, you know, I mean, this, this, post dates his album but we've seen a lot of it in our world <laughs> in the not so distant future, mm-hmm. uh, past and it resonates quickly to me with the way that petty really snarls about it that idea of power drunk and it could be a record executive person it could be you know a politician a police officer anybody that that kind of takes whatever that authority they have is and and abuses it um there's just there's a lot of it to go around so i think there's there are a lot of villains that could be potential with this song if this came out after two thousand, like post two thousand sixteen, everyone would think the song was about Trump. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you said, yeah. the band, the band. I mean, it being two thousand fourteen, but it's. I can't listen to this though. Being in a post two thousand sixteen world, I can't listen to it without thinking about Trump. That's right? what I did yeah. too. You know, like right. I think about Trump every time I hear the song. Yeah. Well, and what's you know what's cool too? I mean, like Trump could have been president of Warner Brothers, and Tom would have like put it on the album even so, you know, he was in a position where, you know, it's like the industry, you know, like needed him and he knew that. And yet he could push back with an album like last DJ, um, you know, he could like refuse like to let them hike up his album prices. I love that. And, you know, even knowing that the album was, you know, like recorded in their rehearsal space, it's kind of like an inside job. He's like, I don't have like to go and, you know, like pay somebody, you know, like 300 grand and make some kind of huge album. Like I don't have to work within your boundaries. I've earned the right to make my own. Yeah. This is one yeah. of two songs on the album that has a really interesting connotation in our present world. And I had to keep reminding myself that it was written and, and released back when it was, cause it isn't post 2016. And there's another one later that really resonated with me for a similar reason. It's almost like pressing it that, uh, you know, um, some of the things that he said, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Scores. Oh, by the way, the, the ending on this out on this particular track is my favorite ending on the record. I dig it. Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's killer for sure. All right, Jeff, your score. 10. Leahy. Six. Nelson. Eight. And I'm matching your eight. All right. Next tune. Forgotten Man.
This is cool because I don't know which song is going to win. Um, I don't either. Nope. But I'm also like absolutely terrible at math, so I can't really <laughs> add these up in my head. But um, yeah, anyway, I love I love Forgotten Man. Like it used to be my number one song, like number one, like not in you know like numerical. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah like it is high up there. It's so simple, um, but it just and sounds shortest. great. Like those chords are amazing. Really. Shortest song on the record at two forty nine. Yeah, this this song is is my number one. It's my eleven. Yeah. Um, uh, and and this one uh, is it's really really it's it's such a rock song, and it's really boring to pick the single the top single as your favorite song. But this is I mean, th- there's I think there's a reason this was the top single, and why I still hear it on AAA radio this day because it's short. It gets to the point, which is. So Tom Petty, and, and you'll hear Campbell say it in, in, in interviews. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. all killer, no filler. You know, uh, this song is that. Also, one of the coolest tremolo like amp sounds at the beginning. Uh, yeah, the, the the tremolo sound pulls you in within a nanosecond of being interested in this song. But the reason I love this song so much is because a lot of it is is like all you can carry. Um, the lyrics of this are very. Uh, this is top notch poetry. If you got, and I didn't do it till we were doing this podcast, uh, studying for it. And if you read these lyrics without listening to any music, it, it feels like something you would have read in school. Like when you were studying a, a, a famous poet, uh, here it's, well, I feel like a forgotten man. I understand the dark when it hangs upon the water, when the wolves and dogs all bark. Well, I feel like a forgotten man. Well, I feel like a four letter word. I know what few can do, how angry words can pierce the heart, how a soul can sink so low. I feel like a forgotten man. Well, I feel like I'm forever damned since our love is gone. No lust, no rage, no wicked thoughts, just pain that lingers on. I feel like a forgotten man. It reads <laughs> like something you would have studied in college. And it's so dark too, but it's chill bumps. It's a pumped up, you know, it's like a pumped up song. You get those like, you know, uh, two extremes and... um yeah, I didn't mean to, you know, commandeer your thought, Andrew Nelson. I'm sorry, keep going. No, no. You were kicking ass over there. You you made me feel it. <laughs> this song gives me goosebumps when I actually look at the words on paper. Um, it really, really hits because I think everyone could feel like that at some point in their life. And it's funny because you don't really notice it and you don't read those words like that when the song's playing because it's such a rocker and it moves so quick and it really takes you somewhere. But now, like whenever I hear this song from now on, I'm going to picture myself like being in a crowd singing along, but like this pumping, like, like the song actually like because of the way it sounds. And then when you look at the lyric, it's sort of like now, now I listen to this song with a punk rock ethos. You know what I mean? Where yeah. like I'm angry, like I feel like a forgotten man. You know what I mean? I love this song. <laughs> Someone else talk about it. <laughs> the, the the vocals in this one are really just he the way he does this thing where he leans into the syllables. You know, his syllables in this are stretched out in this, like, just you just everything drips. It's like I feel like a four letter <laughs> yes. word, and I, yeah, how angry words can pierce the heart. It's so freaking cool. <laughs> it's just, you know, and then you've got the lyrics tinged with regret, you know, absolutely. But this feels like, like, um, this reminds me of like early vintage Tom Petty on like don't come around here no more or whatever in, in the way that he does it, but a super matured version. Like he's really polished 
that technique of just taking a single word or a syllable and just stretching it out in a way that really hammers it home. And I, I just think it's super, super cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You hear the Gainesville in him for sure. Yeah. I, yeah, that was the one thing that I wanted to mention earlier. You guys brought up the, the Gainesville thing. There's a number of songs on this record that, you know, since Gainesville is only um, less than two hours away from me and my wife roots for the Florida Gators on every single sports. Um, so we've been up there a number of times um, at the swamp. And yeah, that this feels like a Gainesville song for sure. I don't know. Do it. Do I need to ask Nelson for his score? I think he already mentioned it. <laughs> 11. <laughs> All right. Leahy, your score. Oh, I'm going to give it up to Gainesville and give this one a 10. Woo! Excellent. Jeff, your score. Yeah. This is one I had higher and it slipped down to six. Mm. All right. All good. Um, I'm matching your six on this one. All right. Okay. I don't All feel right. as bad next, then. next song, Sins of, Sins of My Youth. Another slow tune, and I probably should have given this a higher score because I do love the lyrics of the chorus, even though it's really simple, but sometimes less is more, and I feel like, yeah, I think that that, that chorus packs a punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like to me, it's one of those songs that kind of evokes the we small hours kind of, you know, kind of like full grown boy does as well. Um, and it almost has like a great American songbook kind of vibe with like these chord changes that go from like minor, like, you know, like uh, to major, it just sounds classic and grown up to me. Um, you know, and it's hard, you know, it's like any album is going to have a couple of like mid tempo songs. It's hard to get them to not all gel together. Um, but as I listen more and more, like uh, this one went up in my rankings. Uh, mine kind of went the opposite direction for whatever reason. Um, it was super high and then it just kept sliding and I don't know why. Like it's, I hate the the scores on it, but I do think um, the interesting thing that made it stood out on this is uh, Tom's voice and his unique voice is one of the things that's always drawn me to him. And that really definitely sticks out on this song. He doesn't sound like someone who would get past the first round of a singing competition, you know, like the voice or one of the, you know, American Idol or any of that sort of nonsense. But he's so much more interesting to listen to than most other, you know, vocalists. And, you know, I'm the same way with like a Neil Young or Jeff Tweedy. There's something about what he's doing that really sticks out and and showcases the uniqueness of his voice in this song. It's really on display here. It's a little more bare, I think. I love it. But my score sucks. (laughs) This one, this one (laughs) fell really low for me because just the competition. But again, I I, I love the song. It has a sort of um, like a, like a, just a teeny bit of a Radiohead vibe to it that I like. Um, okay, but uh, it just it's more like sonically, not necessarily like the chords or okay. anything. Um, but uh, this one fits into. I'm going with this one for my conspiracy theory. Theory though, I, I think he's singing to the band. Okay, I think I think he's singing. He's singing to the band and, and to his career. 
in this in this song. He might be singing to his family. I don't get the feeling that he's singing to a girl or woman or like you know or or, or a romantic interest. This just feels like it's a much bigger a bigger entity than that. I'm I'm excited to go back and listen to this album with your theory in mind. I'm excited to, to explore this album that way. That's that's going to be fun to kind of listen and see through your eyes like hear that context coming out because I, it isn't it's an interesting way because there were things that didn't necessarily all make sense to me in sort of in sort of timelines for some of the other relationships so it might make the most sense to have that be to his band and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how it plays to me that way yeah i mean i know i do it my my, my, my band's last album uh there's a lot of songs on there that i'm singing to myself i'm not singing to anyone else oh yeah me too yeah yeah because if yeah. you're going to write songs and you have to like uh, perform them you know, 100 nights a year for like, hopefully the rest of your life, they better be like messages you want to give yourself like reminders, or kind of these like ideals that you need to uphold if you're going to perform them every night. Yeah, I like for sure. All right, Jeff, what is your crappy score? No, I'm, just <laughs> uh, it's a one. I'm just kidding. It's my one. It's your one. Okay. Leahy, how about yeah, you? Yeah, I know, man. I gave this no. a five. And then Nelson? I gave it a two. All right. This- which I hate saying, but I gave it a two. Yeah. And this is my three. All right. Yeah. Next song is You Get Me High. Oh, yeah, baby. And I thought just by looking at the title that maybe Prince wrote this. But I would no, die for you. Yeah, I remember, I think um, like the first two tracks I heard on the album were American Dream, Plan B, and You Get Me High. And they're kind of close cousins. I think it gave me an idea of what the album was going to be. And the album was much broader than that once I heard the whole thing. But mm-hmm. you know, I love You Get Me High. Like To me, it um, you know, it's kind of in his you know, longstanding great tradition of like marrying American rock and roll and British rock and roll influences. I get, get that, you know, like a British like vibe and the chorus and like the harmonies, especially. Um, and I just love that like messy guitar at the beginning, you know, it's not perfect. It doesn't sound, you know, too, um, like revised in post-production. I feel like they played it and like purposely left it kind of sloppy because uh, uh, well you get kind of sloppy when you're high right yeah it has some good psychedelic vibes and i think this is my favorite bass line on the record yeah 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 petty plays the bass on this one oh that's pretty cool does he wow yeah this is petty's bass line and he and campbell mud crutch days yeah he and campbell are each playing a lead guitar part on on the two separate channels left and right um and that's part of what i think makes it sound so dirty and so you know you know, not perfect is they, they've got two separate lead guitar parts going on one left, one right, and kind of blending together. And then the organ really comes through on this. Uh, and then you get tambourine mixed in too. I mean, what, what, uh, what the hell else can you want? It's uh, if it, to me, this one, I love the yeah. other adventures on this album for sure. Um, but the lyrics and everything about it is th- this one to me sticks out from the album as being kind of more or the most quintessential 
Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song of the bunch. And I think that's kind of where I landed, you know, in terms of scoring uh, was it just, it felt like it fits so neatly into so many of the other, you know, big catalog pieces that they have in terms of great songs and hits and stuff. So at the end of the scoring, that's where I ended up with my top. Yeah. Right. Oh, wow. Cool. Cool. Should we get scores? Do we have anything else on you? Get me high. I just, for me, it, it, I agree with everybody, but I do think again, go back and listen to the lyrics of this one. <laughs> I know I'm. This is on my notes. I have this bass, which is what you wrote because I love the bass so much. And then I think he's singing to yeah. the band in this, or or his career. It's just you know I remember feeling like this. Digging, he's singing about inspiration, some kind of muse. I don't. It's, he's not talking about drugs. He's just using that as an easy, as an easy image, to make it you know palatable for the general public. You know what I yeah. mean just like Mary Jane's last dance, but, um, but he's, he's singing, he's singing about his muse. I think he's singing to the guys in the band. I like that. Yeah. All right. Let's get scores. Jeff, what do you got? This is my top score. This is my 11 for, for this week. All right. Leahy. <laughs> I get this one. Eight. Ocho. All right. Nelson. Nine. This is my seven. Spoiler alert. This is our top song. Not by much, but it's our top song. Nice. Oh, wow. Okay. I can live with that. Yeah, me too. All yeah. Right. Next song, Burnt Out Town. Like, this is my least favorite song. <laughs> I got it. I thought it would be. Yeah, tell least. me why. It's my least. Um, and I mean, it's like just on the album, you know, it's a good song. I would much rather hear it like than a lot of other music. But like to me, it's just, um, it sounds kind of, you know, kind of like a B-side off of Mojo. I feel like it's more of a vibe and less of a song. Although I love hearing Scott's harmonica. He's so good at that. Um, and you don't often hear it. Like to me, I thought it could have been... You know, it's like, let's like pull in some kick-ass harmonica player and have him like overdub. Like, but it's Scott. Um, it's a reminder of kind of you know, all the tools that were in that band's arsenal. Um, you know, but it's just not my favorite song. This song got a low score for me because of yeah. the competition. Most bluesy song. Yeah, but I love this song. It's so yeah. cool. It's That's so cool. irreverent. He's, he's clearly talking about Los Angeles. And it just sounds like a drunk guy at a bar. You know, when people are just talking trash and they're just like, man, you know, like that guy that never made it or something that's just like, man, you know, F this town. This is a burnout town. And I love that he kind of sounds like Lucky from King of the Hill. Yeah, it kind of does, actually. I, I love how just we how this weird and how this song is just 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 dirty and like he doesn't care, which is yeah. so cool. But I'll leave it at that. And Ben Benmont's blues piano on this is so good. It's just absolutely great. The lyrics I like the lyrics a lot for a blues song. It's it, you know it doesn't follow like just the same sort of blues thing. The the yeah this burnout town new emperor same clothes they're dancing on the glass ceiling while the filthy money flows. Yes, and here I am stealing gas with a garden hose. <laughs> Such a cool <laughs> yeah. everything about it just evokes the images of this this town. You're right. It's probably like 
this is probably a cast off or a leftover from Mojo at some sense, but man, I really dug it. I, I just think it's a cool, really cool. Jeff, the next jam. time we do a petty record, I think I'm going to have like a Benmont counter for you because your man, your man crush for Benmont is. <laughs> Man, it's I just love Ben Montage. Man crush. It's not even funny. Um, you need to track him down, man. You live near him. I love him. Yeah. I love Ben Mont so right. much. Next. Uh, oh, wait. We haven't got scores yet. Yeah, rank him up. Well, we got to score it. Yeah, this is my least favorite. Uh, Jeff, your score? Seven. Leahy? There's one. Yeah. And then Nelson? Three. All right. And let's wrap this up. This is last song. This is Shadow People. What a cool groove on this one too. It's so simple. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, I use the word like rudimentary and I don't mean that in like a negative way. I mean that in that it's kind of like the rudiments of like American blues rock. Um, like the drums are so in the pocket. Um, I really like it. It's kind of weird. Like the coda at the end where Tom, I forget what he says, but he's like, and shadow people, da, da, da on guitar. It's kind of odd. It's a weird note to end the whole album on, but um, yeah, I dug this one. That's so. See, I listen to that and I love it. I love the all the. I love everything about this song. It's super high rank for me. I agree with you on the blues and the and the rudiments and the groove, and it has a groove like uh like Power Drunk, where it, it's yeah, yeah, it sounds so nineteen seventies Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers in a good way, um. Uh, it's interesting. It's another theme on this album you hear a lot of is is this sort of like detachment and like like within society and shit. The shadow people. It's like he's he's like describing these people that are, are, I feel like are dangerous because they feel forgotten, like a forgotten man, and they feel the sense of loneliness and 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 they're shadow people. Um, the ending to me, it's funny because I probably wouldn't feel the same way about it if he hadn't died after this album. Uh, this hadn't yeah, been his like studio album, but then when I listen to those lyrics, knowing it's the last studio album, it's like I think of him almost like saying like 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 dreaming of heaven or something. So, and what are his last lyrics there? Uh, they are um, because now I feel really bad. Waiting for the sun to be straight overhead till we ain't got no shadow at all, and it yeah. makes me think he mm-hmm. is sort of. I, I mean, I don't think he wrote this knowing that he was going to die in three years. Um, but I can't help because one of the coolest things about rock and roll is the mythology of rock and roll. I yeah. can't help. I'm not going to let the reality uh, ruin when I think about that song. When I listen to it and I hear that ending, it makes me appreciate it all the more. Um, it, yeah. Well, like that lyric at the end, it almost like to me, it evokes, you know, he's getting like beamed up into like the clouds or something. Yeah, but totally. I get, I get what you mean about, you know, like lyrically, it's like he's, He's like uh, talking about these, he's, you know, like menacing people. And there's a real menace like to the groove of the track itself. 
I had two two thoughts about this one. The the first one is this one made me think that it really feels like it would have made for a, a second great duet with Stevie Nicks for some reason. <laughs> like I could I feel like I could hear Stevie Nicks on, singing this with him. But then the imagery of the preppers and the survivalists was really interesting and dark. Um, mm-hmm. And this one carries a gun for the USA. He's a 21st century man, and he's scary as hell because when he's afraid, he'll destroy everything he don't understand. Which, again, to me, listening to it now, I think it scored higher because of how much more Im- impactful this sounded to me after January 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't yeah. know if it's just me that no, like, I read sure. those lyrics very differently. It feels... It, it's kind of like the one that you were talking about earlier, um, you know, where it felt like it might have been about Trump. And this feels like it's just about what we just saw take place. This this idea of they're scary as hell when they're afraid because they'll destroy everything they don't understand is super, you know, it it is. It's it's we've seen it now. We've seen exactly kind of the, the culmination of what that might look like, uh, at least on a small scale. And it's a little uh, it's a little scary. You know, yeah. in, in a way that uh, he feels like he's sort of predicting it. And and uh, so this song stuck out to me, I think, a little more because of that. And the ending couldn't have happened if it wasn't the last track on the song on the album. You wouldn't you couldn't have that weird ending and it be like track yeah. eight or track, you know, four. Like it has to be the last. It makes me think that they did it on purpose. Yeah. 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 All right. Scores for last song. Jeff, what do you got? Nine. Leahy. I give four. Nelson. Ten. This is my four as well. All right. So we did the track by track. So what are the rankings? Here we go. Well, I always ask, (laughs) did we miss anything? Did we cover everything? We get everything? We've been on here a while. I think we covered everything. (laughs) Tom Petty is God. We covered it. The end. We dig music. All right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think the only thing that I would, I would say is again, I'm just so glad that I got I, I, that you guys gave me the motivation to dive back into this album and give it the proper due because I hadn't done that before and that was a mistake and and uh, that's the cool thing about your show, Ben is is records revisited. Let you know it's that bringing up an album track by track and reminding people of how good something can be and and I hope other people dive back into this that maybe didn't explore yeah, it for sure. All right. So I already mentioned that You Get Me High is our, our number one. So any clues on the rest of our top five? I think Forgotten Man is number two. Forgotten Man is number two. That has an average score of 8.25. You Get Me High had an average score of 8.75. Third is Power Drunk with an average score of eight. Fault, oh. Fault Lines with an average score of 7.5 is our fourth. And then we have a tie for fifth shadow people and American dream plan B 6.75 average score. So we get a top six. Yeah. Nice. Great album. Solid. That's a solid, that's a solid six, man. That's a very solid six. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last question that I throw out to everyone. So um, who do you know that I don't know that should come on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records like we just did? Oh, man. Man, I got to say, uh, just just because he's hilarious and extremely knowledgeable, a mutual friend of ours, John Latham, would be um, I was gonna he say he doesn't have necessarily like a huge discography. Uh, he's only had put out one album, but he's he's a great songwriter. And uh, 
but also as as a person, uh, he would be he would he would he would tear this podcast up. You guys would be fr- uh, friends for life. You'd be here for eight hours, <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be talking about like Michael Bolton's like time, love, and tenderness or something. <laughs> but it would be awesome. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, we'll 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 chat offline, and we'll 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 see if we can't make that happen. Huge discographies are not a prerequisite of coming on. Look, I've, I've, I'm on record of telling telling people the only prerequisite is you have to have you have to love music and you have to be OK with nerding out for two hours about music. That's really and wear a cool T-shirt. Really yep. And yep. wear a cool T-shirt. All right. I was just going to say I was I'm excited. I got a chance. I, I'm really excited. I got a chance to be honest with you guys. Uh, I don't I'm not on the podcast all the time, but I enjoyed both of your music a ton. And, and I'm excited to explore that a little bit more and, and like i said see you guys live so uh I, I, you know here's to I, you know what you guys tour together uh if you want a stand-up comic to open the show i'll do that we'll we'll have a good time <laughs> all right um not like falling asleep in an alley good time but um you know something <laughs> yeah. something like I that so i can't days. wait to see you you both uh, live uh, in the near future yeah absolutely all right so andrew Leahy, tell people where where uh where they can find you out there so the band is called Andrew Leahy and the Homestead. We're you know like on every website and whatever that you could like uh, think of. But we also play live streams every week on Thursday night on Facebook. We've done it every week since last year. So like uh, next week is our forty fifth, and we'll keep doing it until we um, you know can go out and play actual gigs again. So you can watch those as well. Excellent. All right. Uh, other Andrew, where can people find Great Peacock? Um, at your local <laughs> neighborhood retailer, uh, greatpeacock.com. But for the love of God, please go like us on Instagram because we have very few likes on that. And for some reason, you don't get any more of those unless you're a hot uh, woman or or uh, you pay for them. So go like us on Instagram because we need 10,000 followers. So these uh, annoying music journalists will actually start writing about us more. Uh, thank you all for listening. <laughs> You're a hot woman to me, Andrew Nelson. <laughs> thanks, guys. Y'all take care. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. So go find your favorites. Go go support them on any of their live streams. And now that we know that Andrew Leahy has live streams, we are going to be visiting him on Thursday nights. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record visit a record store you can do that just make sure that you're um, masking up and you're being safe out there all right we are records revisited and we are out, out. out. Cha, cha, cha. good deal <laughs>